Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nashville Tour Stop. My name is Aaron, and across the table from me today is Mr. Wyatt Edmondson. Wyatt, welcome to the show, buddy. What's going on, Aaron? Dude, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I'm glad to... I can't believe it's taken this long to have you on the podcast. It's been years that I've known you. I know. Well, you know, you should just call me sometime. <laughs> So I like to start all of our episodes a couple of ways. I think you've listened to this before. So since we've already opened our beers, let's just do a clink clank for us right here. Cheers. Ow. Ow, indeed. We we have some extra easy from our friends, our neighbors over at uh, Tennessee Brew Works. My fave. Hot dang. One of the last times Wyatt and I hung out, we... <laughs> we had ourselves a whole time there, didn't we? Yeah, if you know, a pitcher is all I had to say. I think say. we had two pitchers, two didn't pitchers, we? Yes. Two pitchers of 1927 IPA. Whole next day wasted. I I was no good that night. No. I, but the <laughs> next day, I was at PJ's and Netflix binge getting over the hangover that is Aaron Schilb. Uh, I've I've definitely been given that before. And I've given to that to people before. So yeah, But I would do it again. And maybe we should do it after this podcast. I don't know. You're in good company though. Dude, so I also, more importantly, like to start our show is by asking the guests how we met. So I know how we met, but tell the people who are listening how me and you met many, many years ago. This is great. Um, oh, my God. What was the name of the venue? It was on Demumbrian. South. South, yeah. And and it is now what? What is it now? Vibes Vape Lounge. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> it was called South, and, and I was on a rider's round. I think I had lived here for three or four months, right. uh, a little bit longer than you. And I remember we were in a round together and instantly there was something about, you know, you and I that I just sort of clicked. And and I remember you were really like adamant about, you know, saying, Hey, we should follow up, you know? And you were like, I just moved to town. I feel like you were only in town for like a week. I yeah. Mean, I, had, I had lived in town. I moved here in July and God, that must've been it was in the summer. August. Yeah, it must yeah. have been in August. I was brand new to town. You were brand new. I remember because you had that like, you know, deer in the headlights look. <laughs> you, you, were, you were brand new and you were just like, you know, hey man, I really want to like, we should follow up, you know? And and then I remember, you know, we we got together a few times. Maybe maybe we played a couple of rounds. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I, I always talk about that one day we had lunch together. Right. And it was, uh, we, we you literally came up with Nashville Tour Stop. While we were sitting at lunch, it was it was that fresh. I remember. I mean, I I, I remember. I was like, man, you should start around, and then you, and then you were talking about it, mm-hmm. and, and then it was kind of like we blinked, and then it was here, and <laughs> like, then oh, next, shit, like that's a good idea, <laughs> yeah. And like next thing I knew, I was playing your round at like you know uh, four four bar and grill. Gosh, and, I haven't and, been to that place in years. Yeah, and then, and then and then of course it was Belcourt after that, and then it just kept R.I.P. Belcourt taps. That's right. Yes. Every episode. God rest its soul. God rest its soul. Hundred year old building, but I'm so happy that that we've remained friends because a lot of the friendships we make in Nashville are transactionary or transactional, whichever the proper verb is or adverb. But a lot of them, a lot of them are for business only, and you don't actually get to make meaningful friendships very often in this town. I think it was that's what's great about you and me is that when we both met, we were we didn't really have much to offer mm-hmm. the other. You know, I mean, we were both just kind of like trying to figure out what this whole thing was about. And as we both started to see success in our own lanes, we kept in touch and, right. and we checked each other every 
couple of months or every time I'd play a tour stop, we'd kind of like get chummy and be like, hey, man, what are you up to? You know, and and then it just continued, you know, and here we are. Uh, I've been here almost six years. It's right. crazy, man. But like, you know, as, I'm so proud of where you are now and, and all the success all the success that you've had and uh as far as go on gas me up well sure i mean i'm serious man i mean i mean you've really built a, a really cool experience for not only the fans but but the artists like the songwriters here in town i mean you're around to me versus some of the others that i've done there's just an authenticity to it you know there's there's just this feeling of i don't feel pressure in this room and i right. don't i don't feel a a I, I, it's not pretentious, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> that's I, a word I like to use. Is yeah. I, I try not to be a pretentious, pretentious person because you, there's plenty of venues in town where you can interact with those people. And I just don't vibe with that. So I never wanted to give off that kind of a, I'm better than you vibe at my show. I wanted it to be for everybody. Well, you know how clicky Nashville can be. Oh, I mean, no it, it's, it's like high school, you know, like there's some venues and there's some, uh, you know, like, events or writers rounds or whatever you want to say that it's sort of like well you know we're the cool kids and and to me that is so unattractive you know for for me as someone who is really like this is my job this is what i do for a living and 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 also it's what i love like i mean you don't you don't get into this career because you want to make a living like you get into this career because it's what you love and you hope that you make a living right i'm lucky enough that that's happening but like i don't like to think about having to be part of a clique in order to be successful i don't want to have to come impress some dude in a flat bill hat and talk to him about how oh yeah i went fishing when i was a kid (laughs) sure i did But who cares? Well, you know, or that or like, uh, I mean, I don't know, man. It, it's it just it's always going to be there. There's always going to be a facet of that in every single right. business. It doesn't matter if it's music or if you're a lawyer or whatever. But I think it's the ability to recognize it and then to, you know, make friends with who you make friends with yeah. and, and be open. And then for me, it's about sowing my seeds into uh, opportunities and to environments that I feel like they hold the values that I really buy into. And, right. and, and your your ecosystem, your Nashville tour stop environment really just encompasses everything I think is right about Nashville and everything that really should be a part of a songwriter night, you know, out at a bar somewhere. And and, and it doesn't matter, you know, you have, you have hit writers and you have writers who just moved to town like last week, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that to me is really what it's all about. You know, um, everything that happens outside of that is great. And, you know, you have your people who work harder and, and who really, you know, go the extra mile, but all of the people who are, who are passionate about music should be able to participate. And I I I believe the same thing. And that's really early on. Like one of the things that I, 
I specifically tried to make Nashville Tour Stop about was how it, it was for everybody. Yeah. Because I would go to these shows, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I'd go to these other shows, and I'd walk up to the host or whoever was in charge, and I'd be like, hey, I'm Aaron. I'm brand new to town. I, I'm just looking to get plugged in. Is there anything I can do? Just Is there a website? Is there an Instagram? What can I do to get involved? And they'd pat me on the shoulder and just be like, okay, fuck off. Like, thanks for being here. <laughs> And be like, wow, okay. Like, yeah. Why why am I here? If if nobody wants to meet new people, like what's the point? So the thing the point I started to make was why why would I try to make friends with people who don't care? So I I went and built my own club. Yeah. I started my own club, except there's uh you can't see it, but on my door across the the room here it says uh a video series that I've wanted to do is called uh the cool kids that everyone can sit with. Sure. It's there's there's no one that's better than than one person. And yeah, we're all at different stages of our career. But the thing that I try to remind people about is like, sure, you might be a full time musician, Wyatt, and somebody else on the same round might not be. But you're both still playing the same show sometimes like it levels the playing field to say, yes, I am full time and you're still working your day job. But this is where the opportunity is. And we can all meet here at this collective campfire. It's like this is where it happens. And and likely and this is what I love about Nashville, likely, you, you know, those two people, the full time and the part time are are equally talented. At, Absolutely. At the source, you know, like, part time or full time is not an indicator of of talent or ability. No, I, I mean, I always encourage people like whenever I, if anybody ever asked me for advice, I always, and, and, and they're talking about wanting to do music. I always say, you know, jump off the ledge, man. Like, like go full time, struggle, right. you know, earn your stripes. There are some people who don't want to do that. There are some people who are totally happy to have a day job and and to go to songwriter rounds and and they want to write and and that sort of I don't want to call it their hobby because they definitely are still trying to climb the right. ladder and they're definitely still interested in making it a career, but they just for whatever reason they don't want to really just go 100 mm percent -hmm. full-time because you know what maybe they don't want to do the what i call like the money gigs you know the things right. you have to do if you're going to be a full-time musician who's not famous to be able to pay your bills you know right. maybe they don't want to do that maybe they would rather work a job and that's fine you know i mean for me personally it it didn't work out that way mm -hmm. i mean you know music is the only gig I've ever had. Uh, mm -hmm. and some of that has to do with, um, you know, my physical state. And we talked right. about that, like with, you know, yeah, for we, we had Wyatt on the first episode of our series, Trendsetter Showroom. We talked about, uh, what, what's it called again? Retinitis pigmentosa. Right. The, uh, the condition in your eyes that impaired your vision, but it, it's, it's kind of like myself with my ears. We figure out the world that we live in the world that we can exist in with our, I don't even, I hate using the word disability, but let's, let's just say it. But like we, we figure out what we can do. It's and a unique circumstance. Yeah. yeah. It's the, the circumstance of what we, what we have. And just like you, you still play music full time. I'm still in music full time, even though I'm deaf, like you can still do it. Absolutely. You can still do it. Yeah, man. I mean, and that's what I tell people. Like, you know, if anybody ever asks me, I say, you know, I think you ought to just 
really give it a shot. Just give it know? a shot. I mean, what's six months of your life? If, if <laughs> you know, like give it six months. If you can't make the same amount of money you're making at your day job, right. Doing music within six months, then, you know, you either need to re- reevaluate or you might just consider doing it kind of like as a side thing. Cause a know? lot of these part-time jobs, my friends are working, they're making like 12 bucks an hour and they're working six hour shifts. So, okay. You're making $72. Most people on Broadway can make $72 in a cover gig moderately easily. That's the, that would be the worst I've ever done. Yeah. If I, and got it's that. proof. It's like, you can, you can do it. And yeah. we were talking about it in an episode a few weeks ago with Kent Dean about how, if you do jump off into the deep end, you try music full time and it's not working out for you. The day job will always be there waiting for you. Sure. It's, you don't want to call it the backup plan, but the the coffee house in your hometown will always be there for you. Yeah. And it's okay to it's okay to try and fail. Lots of successful people have tried and failed and then they come and try again. That's that's sometimes the make or break between successful people and not successful people is the willingness to try, fail, and then try again. Yeah. Well, and and you know, for me personally, I I, I didn't actually didn't have the luxury of like you know, having something else and comparing it to music for me, right. I, I was lucky enough that I had, uh, you know, I had parents who were, who were supportive enough and, you know, I had a, I was from a small enough town where I was kind of like a big fish in a small pond for a while. And I just never really, I never did anything else, mm-hmm. you know, from the time I was 14, 15 years old, I was playing gigs and restaurants and stuff, you know. Uh, how and, old were you the first time you played your first gig as Wyatt Edmondson, the, the songwriter? Oh man, that's funny. Um, so totally like, are you saying like as an original artist? Like, like or it could, it could have been a cover gig or something because well, I played I was, my first show when I was 14 in a place that was a coffee house and then became a liquor store. So I'll tell you this. I mean, if it, if this, my first gig that I really remember was, uh, my, one of my best friends who's still my best friend today. Sh- shout out Connor, uh, shout out Connor, shout out Connor Morton. Love you, dude. Uh, it was his 13th birthday party. Nice. And I was that age. We were in like, you know, the seventh grade or whatever. And I remember he asked me to like, he was like, you know, hey man, I'm having my, my, so his dad owned a brewery essentially in my hometown. And so he totally just closed out the brewery and had all these kids in there. And (laughs) and I guess their parents could drink or whatever. I don't know. But all I know is that Connor asked me to, to be the entertainment and we didn't get paid, but like it was me. You got paid in Mountain Dew. I got paid in, uh, in really, you know, satisfaction from all the seventh, seventh grade girls that were looking at me (laughs) that were like, Oh my God, why it's up on stage. So I, uh, I remember it was me. It was my cousin, Thomas. It was, uh, my dad, so my dad was in a band. My right. dad, my dad's a lawyer, but he was in a cover band. Okay. And uh, it was his lead singer from his cover band. They were currently still together. Like they mm. were playing local bars. And then his son was playing bass. And we got up on stage and we played Led Zeppelin covers nice. for 45 minutes. Dang. That was it. I mean, I think the first song we ever did was Immigrant Song. You know? and, yeah, and I, I actually actually wasn't singing. I was just playing guitar. Okay. I was Jimmy Page. And um, 
I remember. I remember the the intensity of like the feeling of being on stage, especially in front of your peers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing if you're playing for strangers, but if you're in front of your peers, people who you're going to see tomorrow in home uh, in math class. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I'm shredding on some Jimmy Page, and then <laughs> I remember like you know when we were done, the party was still going on. I mean, it only we only played for like 45 minutes. Right. You know, I was so flipped out i remember i remember like i i went outside behind the 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 venue my dad you know he was a seasoned guitarist playing in cover bands and he took me out there and i remember i was like about to to puke i was i just couldn't believe that i just done you had so much energy so much adrenaline And, and in fact this is a really funny story um so I had like a, you know, a little middle school girlfriend at the time. And I remember she had come to see me per- perform, you know, she, and she went to a different school. So she didn't really know any of the same people. And she was there at this little show. And I was so wigged out from the gig that I didn't even speak to her the whole time. Nice. I, I didn't, I didn't nice. even know she was there hardly. And I was just <laughs> like so zoned in on the fact that I just performed. She got so mad. She she <laughs> broke up with me, man. And like that was it. And and, oh my and God. that you know, I'm glad you know it didn't happen the way it did. That's fine. You know, everybody moves on. But that was I got dumped after my first gig. Wow. Because I was so dedicated to the feeling of being on stage, and I didn't really even notice that anybody else. Was God, there. I love I love thinking about that because I I don't often go back and revel in my my childhood gigs, but the first gig I ever played was with my band Ruby Falls, and I think it was 2008. We played at this place called uh, the the Underground Coffee something in in Columbia, Missouri. It doesn't matter because it's long since closed. But I remember playing that, and there's a video somewhere on YouTube of us doing a cover of Drops of Jupiter by Train. Yep. And I was just heavy into my wah pedal. And just <laughs> wow, wow. And it's like totally inappropriate for the song. But I remember that feeling, and then you get off stage, and you're like, damn, like, I was up there. That light was on me. Yeah. And then I remember the first gig that we got paid for. Some some summer camp gave the five of us 100 bucks, so we each got $20. Sure. And after the gig— these girls, we were 14 years old. These girls from the summer camp came up to us. And for the first time in my life, I felt like a rock star because these girls were like, oh, my God, like you play the guitar. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. And then the path was set. And I was like, I have to do this forever. I remember <laughs> I remember when I was uh, really, really just getting started. And uh, I think it was not long after that anecdote I just shared. I was I, that's the school, the high school that I went to asked me to play like an outdoor event. And, and there was this kid that I was in class with. And uh, I remember he told me he was like, Wyatt, you sound like a drunk Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> I remember those were his words. And, and I actually don't know to this day if that was a compliment or not, because, I mean, Hendrix was on a lot more than alcohol when he was playing. So I wonder, you know, but I just remember it felt like an insult at the time. So I remember channeling that and being like, you know what, I'm going to show him. And still to <laughs> this day, to this day, I think about that. And I think about... Well, here's how far I've come, you know, since that. So shove it, you know, <laughs> Shut it. Beca- like, because I, I, I did it. Thanks for giving me the uh, the fire under my butt. <laughs> yeah, no, I really was. I think that was one of the best motivating 
comments I ever got as far as, you know, what I, what I do and, and what drove me to continue to do it. Well, let's take a quick commercial break and we'll talk some more about what continues to drive you to do the things you do right here on the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. And we're back with the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. Wyatt, thanks for being here, buddy. I'm you were so just happy. reaching for your beer. You want to you want to take a sip here? Let's take a uh, let's take another sip and a clink clank. How about mm. it? So thanks again for being here to do the show. You've been a friend of mine for a long time, and there's a lot of reasons why you and I like hanging out. And honestly, beer is one of them. There you go. But we were just talking about reasons that you're inspired to keep doing it and the things that have happened in the past that continue to drive you to uh, be in music because we live in an industry that's perilously difficult and there's every day there's things that come up that make you kind of want to give up so what what is it that that started with you that made you want to be in music was it was it these girls at the at the gigs that, that oogled over you was it the guy who said you sounded like a drunk Jimi hendrix like what was it that made you want to keep doing it such a great question and the answer is as much as that would be a, a great reason no it was not that okay um, so this this is really one of my favorite things to talk about as it relates to me and and, and me personally why i got into music um you know as a lot of people who know me know that that I'm legally blind and that that I'm currently as I age losing my vision when I discovered that that was a reality for me and, right. and that I was going through this uh, with retinitis pigmentosa, I was about 15 years old and this was about two years into me just tooling around with the guitar and and really starting to take an interest but now can you tell people who are listening in in a short elevator pitch what what that is and what that does to your eyes retinitis pigmentosa is a retinal degenerative disease okay. it causes you to lose your sight over time uh basically your retina cells do not know how to regenerate gotcha. and as your body ages the cells that see the you know they 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 die off they're not able to be reconstructed they're not able to be regenerated and so as a result you experience progressive blindness and so from from let's see today the uh, December 1st the year of our lord blake shelton <laughs> what uh what what is what is vision look like for you right now yeah. So, I mean, like as we're sitting in this room, uh, you kind of look like a floating head. Okay. You know, like I can't see your shoulders or your arms or anything okay. like that. Um, as far as just general, like going through life, I see pretty well during the day. Okay. Um, if you met me in a just absolutely beautiful blue sky day out on the sidewalk you might not even know i had a disability okay until maybe you asked me to read you something like i have a hard time reading like a receipt or you know a menu at a restaurant mm -hmm. uh if if we met at uh at midnight on a friday night at a bar and it's dark you're gonna see me with a cane uh i'm not gonna be able to see your face gotcha. uh night blindness is one of the main um, side effects of retinitis pigmentosa. Gotcha. So back to my why, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, when I was about 15 years old and I, I figured out about my diagnosis, uh, 
at the time I was already getting into music, but I realized, and I, I do believe that that this that it was divine. I, I believe God spoke to me. I, I believe that God showed me that I have a reason to be doing what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and and that yes, I was faced with a challenge, uh, but that music would serve as the outlet for me to be able to express my fullest potential and desires to others and also to try and reinforce to whoever needed to hear it that it doesn't matter what your past is and right. it doesn't matter what your situation is it really what 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 it really comes down to is your determination your mindset and uh and just what you want out of life and what i wanted out of life what i still want out of life is the luxury of being able to connect with people you know and and it is it's something we have to build for ourselves mm-hmm. and for me the best outlet for connection has always been my music that's and, awesome and i'm so happy about that because uh you know i, I think i learned it at, at at a teenage age because of that uh that challenge that i went through that music was a way that i could bridge the gap between me and my friends even who maybe they could see and we'd be out at a at a party or something and i feel kind of disassociated because to me they're all just like silhouettes and they're all right. talking and i trying to hold on to the to the conversation whatever it is but then next thing you know i have a guitar in my hand and people their their attention is is fixated on me and they want to hear me play and then for me that was the that was the the stage that I needed right. to just be able to provide my own expression, my own interpretation of what my reality is. And as soon as I started doing that, I started to realize just how many people connected with that. And and I've been able to forge some lifelong relationships through that journey of of getting on a stage or releasing music and and people being able to relate to it it's such a cool thing that is cool and it's it's funny you use the word degenerative because i know you and i have talked about it before but a single that i put out uh, i think it was a couple of years ago a song that i wrote several years ago called rock and roll degenerate was directly inspired by you you gave me the the I title for the song i remember you we were sitting in my car across the street from the five spot and we were talking about my hearing loss and your vision loss. And you just called me this, man, you're just you're this rock and roll degenerate guitar player. And I was like, <laughs> I was like damn, that's a, that's a great term. That's so and, funny. And it's, it's kind of proof to the, to the point that you and I, like we, we, the, I guess the, the term we're supposed to use is differently abled. Sure. But it, it's, a, it's not a, uh, it's not a hindrance. It just gets us into a different way of thinking. And I've talked about it on a couple of the episodes in the past, but uh, have you ever written about your, your vision through your music? Have you ever written songs about that? Yeah. Um, when I was in college, I put out an EP and, and there was one song that I wrote. Uh, it was called surrounded by the light and, okay. and, and, I honestly, I need to circle back and do some more writing about this because, you know, that song to me was definitely my attempt at trying to distill what it feels like to be in my situation. But I was such a younger songwriter at that point. I feel like I really only scratched the surface. But in that song, I mean, with my disability, it, it what I think is so interesting and, and somewhat symbolic is that 
for me, it's all about light. Uh, as someone who suffers from a retinal degenerative disease, like literally light is right. what gives me sight, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what gives everybody sight. That's cool. But for me, it's much more intensified. And so, you know, if I look at a phone screen or if I look at uh, a so neon- So things that are backlit, Correct, right? yeah. So or, this this neon sign sitting next to us, you can see that, right? See it perfectly. Yeah, yeah because yeah. it's backlit. NTS, tour stop, yes. So I wrote this song called Surrounded by the Light because what I wanted to convey at the time was that the light, so to speak, was my support system. You cool. know, the people around me who- who provided me the opportunity to just exist as fully as I could. Uh, and I still think that that same idea persists in my life today. Um, and I've written some other songs about just the support that I've received right. from fans and and from people who are a part of this musical journey with me, uh, but none that so directly touch on the vision aspect. Okay. But I definitely... Am overdue to maybe explore that again. See, I've kind of in the past avoided writing about my hearing loss because, I mean, it's a touchy subject, but writing about something that's so personal. Sure. And I've, I've really only written a couple of songs, one of which I can't even remember the title of, but I used the chords D-E-A-F. <laughs> oh, wow, that's cool. <laughs> I did that. But one more recently that I've, I talked about on a few episodes ago is a song idea I had called I Love You Back. Yeah. And the song's premise is from the perspective of myself as a person who can't hear. Uh-huh. So the song is about all of these things that I'm afraid I'll never hear again. And the I've got the lyrics on my computer here. It says, I can feel the thunder rolling. I can see the lightning flash. But I can't hear the sound of music or the waves of an ocean crash. But of all the things I'll never hear, it's most tough to admit that. I'm most afraid I'll never hear somebody say, I love you back. And it's hard kind of getting those uh, those things because I remember writing that chorus idea down. I was at my house and I was just I out loud spoke to myself. And I am not sad enough to write this song. I was about right to say, now. did you just cry like in a corner? I mean, God, that's, that sounds so, <laughs> isn't that harsh? Well, I mean, I get it, though, you know, but like me sitting here across from you being a, a technically like a blind person. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't trade that for the world to have to go through what you're going through, you know, like as someone who struggles with hearing loss. And and I, I don't know if you feel the same way. My dad has always told me, um, this is, this is such a great little golden nugget of wisdom. It's like, you know, if, if there could be a bucket that we all threw our problems into, and then we had to, grab out of that bucket a set of problems. I could grab yours, you could grab mine, so to speak. Odds are we would all grab our own problems because Mm -hmm. we are all programmed to deal with those problems. We understand the challenges and how to how to circumnavigate the issues. Correct. So so for me to have to imagine what it might be like to suffer from hearing loss as opposed to vision loss is is just really hard to imagine and, and maybe for you it's the same it's the same flip-flopped you know you you might imagine what it might be to host a tour stop when you literally can't see any of your own guests you see, know? can't see the guests can't see the stage yeah sure you know for me that's easy you know like and, and it's about adaptation and it's about just your willingness to 
to make your life as good as it can be, you know, right. to, to do what you have to do. So many of the, oh gosh, I, what is the correct word? Handicaps that I use in my life to help make my job easier. That's one reason why I started integrating the names and the photos on my TV screens at the shows sure. with people's uh, Instagram handles is because uh, not necessarily because I couldn't hear them, but is because it's hard to remember what who somebody is sometimes. So putting their picture with their name on the TV was an excellent resource for people in the audience to connect with the songwriter. But for me personally, it was a way for me to visually connect your name with your face so that even if I can't remember the words to your songs, I'll always remember your name and your face just because it's I, I have to make the graphic and I have to put it on the TV. It's just another way that even if I can't remember the hook of your song, I'll be able to remember you wrote a song and this is your name. You're Wyatt Edmondson. You've got a beard and you love beer. That's so wild because, <laughs> I mean, yes, I do have a beard and I love beer. But uh, that's so wild because for me, it's voices. Um, okay. Your voice, I know. I know like the back of my hand. I could hear you in any environment. And and if I heard you speak, I would know it's Aaron Jilb, you know. And right. there's so many other people. It just takes me a couple of times, you know. If, if, if we hang out for more than one occasion and, and you know— you're somebody who I feel like I need to try and, you know, distill in my mind, then I'm going to know you based right. on your voice, you know? Uh, and, and there are some people that I deal with quite a bit that I still, to this day, couldn't tell you what their face looks like, but I know who they are. And, I, am and, the, I, I love that we're, I'm the exact opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny, man. We're, we're like black and white on that, but, mm -hmm. but it, it, it goes to show that people make adjustments. Right. And that's a that's a good segue to say that beyond physical limitations, there's often going to be professional limitations that are going to make you think that like, man, I'm an independent musician and I haven't gotten booked for a meaningful gig in a while. Sometimes, yeah, there are going to be things that are difficult about it. But if you find a way to get around that problem or something like the gosh, whatever it is that you were just talking about that lights the fire under your butt to yeah. keep doing it. You're going to continue to do it because it's, there's no alternative. The alternative isn't going and getting a job that you technically could do, quote, quote, but that you you don't settle for the plan B. Yeah. I mean, plan A is the only option. Yeah. For me, it was always about refining whatever was happening right. in my career. Uh, you know, when I first moved to town, I was doing an, inter an internship for college and that was part of my degree. And when I finished that internship, I actually did two. One of the companies that I was interning for hired me like on sort of a part-time basis. And, you know, after a few months, they were like, hey, you know, we really just don't need you. And we, right. we don't really have a position for you. So best of luck. And And then at that point, I was like, well, I mean, my degree says that I need to go and try to get a job, you know, like a salary right. position in the music business. So I applied at like a few different publishing houses and some other stuff and I never got anything. And I was kind of discouraged for a minute, but only for a minute because after a while I started to realize I was like, well, I mean, Hey, you're already gigging. Like, you know, you're Destined already to work for yourself. Yeah. I mean, and, and exactly, Aaron, you're, you're right. I mean, at, before I knew it, I was doing 
what I already am doing now, like full time. And, and ever since that point has been me just refining it over the, over the course of my career, you right. know, just trying to increase that top line, you know, raise that bottom line and, and try and just create a, a profitable career that I enjoy that, that doesn't necessarily have to be by the industry standards, but by but but by my standards, right? You know, increasing some, something that that you're proud of. It, it's hard to sell a product because a lot of what I have to do as a business owner for Tour Stop is sell the show to venues. I have to sell the show to our advertisers. And if you, as a songwriter, don't believe in what you're doing, two hundred percent, you're not going to be able to sell yourself as a product to a venue for say as as somebody else who does like why you believe in yourself hand over fist there's there's people who only kind of like yeah i'll put on a good show but if you if you come in and say nope i've got two and a half hours set 45 minutes of it is covers 90 minutes of it is original music and then i've got 15 minutes with uh built-in uh breathing exercises whatever 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 or if you come in with a really solid set plan people are going to believe it just because you've come prepared you know what's amazing? Think about this for a second. Have you have you have you ever had this happen where whatever night it is, like let's like for whatever reason, that that night you are just on and like, you know, you're you're playing a writer's round or whatever, you're playing a gig, right. and, and for whatever reason, you are just so the belief is there, right? Like you you you're just in it and you really you love your songs and and, and you're portraying them, you're presenting them. In what I would say the best way you could possibly do, and maybe you don't even hit every note perfectly. Maybe the, you got some pitch issues, or maybe you you you're, you're slightly like the technicals aren't mm-hmm. necessarily a hundred percent, but the grit and the the guttural like the feel. I believe in this that visceral is, reaction that you have. It's there, and and you get that response from people. Like I have had that happen so many times. Have you have you had that experience? Oh yeah, where even if you're not on, the audience doesn't notice that you're not. It's it's why I tell people if you make a mistake while you're performing, don't address it. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is like you know, the, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. Like there are some times that I play that maybe I'm just like not having the best day, right. and and maybe I'm just kind of going through the motions. You know, I try to minimize that because I know that people. A lot of times, especially if they're paying, like they 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 deserve their money's worth, you know, and I deserve they to- they want a hundred percent. Sure, but there are those moments where I show up and I'm in the right frame of mind and I'm just so actualized in right. that moment, and I deliver that. I mean, it it literally beams through you like an energy, you know, and people. People feel it, and, and and I've seen it from other artists too. I've 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 looked and watched people on stage and be like, "Wow, that girl right there, she is she, really on fire." Yeah, like you can tell, and 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 I think that that is so cool. Um, <laughs> I'm about to quote Kanye West. Ka- Kanye West, are you ready? It's a it's a tough time, but let's hear it. All right, so I know it's a tough time, but. <laughs> One of the things that he said at some music award show like several years ago, I think I was in college, he said, man, just worry about how you felt at the time. And what he was talking about was when you like compose a song, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, I think about so many of the songs that I've written and how I felt in the moment, like in that night that I wrote that tune and I'm sitting on my, the side of my bed and I'm playing it and I'm thinking, 
holy shit, this is the best thing I've ever written. Right. You know, this this is my hit song, you know, and like you're really feeling it. But then six months or a year or two years later, you're playing it at a writer's round for the 157th time. And for whatever reason, you know. You no, almost don't connect to your own song anymore. No pun intended, but the thrill is gone. Right. You know, and, and then you have to, you have to find it again. And then on that rare occasion where you just, you have it. You, mm-hmm. you you you've somehow reminded yourself of all the real reasons why you're doing this. It translates again, and the people hear it and they feel the same energy that you felt the first night you wrote it. So I, I've always taken those words from Kanye. I've tried to put those into my own music. It's like whenever I play a song like Pontoon State of Mind, you know, which I released a couple of years ago. Favorite of mine. That's done. Yeah, it's done well for me. I always try to put myself in the mindset of, well, what was Wyatt? thinking when he actually first wrote that song i was sitting at my lake house and i was really soaking in that environment and that's why every time i have a song idea not only do i write down the idea but i write down why i had the idea i write down where i was what time it was just little things like that that can put me back into that like okay well I was at my lake house. I I did feel this way. I had had six beers. Like the, the things, <laughs> I've never like, done that, man. The that's things good. that remind you of why you felt the way you did. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that, I think that's a good practice. I'm, I'm going to try that for sure. For sure. Well, let's take one more quick commercial break, and we'll come right back with the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. <laughs> And we're back with the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. One more time, we've got Wyatt Edmondson right here across the table from me. Wyatt, thanks again for coming to the studio today, man. Yeah, it's been great. It's a pleasure. So let's talk about things that you're doing to better yourself as a songwriter, as a person, as a musician, and as a businessman. What are some of the things in your life that you're doing right now that are that are that are meaningful to your own career? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of the best things that I'm doing is I'm just trying to identify what my weaknesses are within the grand scope of, of managing. A certain self-awareness. Yeah, like managing my own career, you know. I mean, I'm an indie, so, you know, everything kind of the buck stops with me. Right. So looking at all aspects of what it means to be a successful artist and to have an active you know, business model and, and, and trying to think, okay, well, what are the aspects of that macro view of, of my business that, that I could personally improve on um, and, and taking steps to, to do that, learning, learning more about it. I mean, one of my favorite things to do uh, is to just invest my time into a subject that I don't know a lot about or right. that I might feel kind of, you know, less confident talking about, or even more importantly, executing and, and really just spending time consuming content, educational content about that, that subject matter. That's um, how I, I like to consume educational podcasts. Sure. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a great way to learn. And, and there's a plethora of resources out there where people will just talk. Well, to plug a podcast, uh, if that's all right. No, go for it. Yeah, plug, um, plug anything you like to listen to. So I've recently been on um, – John Ojaka has a has a, a whole 
program called. Now, can you spell that for people who might not uh, know how to spell that? Absolutely not. But uh, <laughs> but I can say it's called the Music Marketing Manifesto. Ojaka is a hard name to spell. I don't know. The Music Marketing Manifesto, more importantly. That's correct. Yes. So you can find that podcast. Um, but also, he has a program that you can purchase. And I have now purchased it. Um, and it's part of my uh, daily education. I've, I've been going through those modules and learning more about what he calls direct to fan marketing. And, and it's something that I'm really excited about uh, implementing into my own model because, you know, for me personally, being an independent artist, direct to fan engagement has been where I've seen the highest return on investment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but last year, uh, right before COVID, I so I had like an EP that that released in twenty. Or no, I'm sorry, not last year. This is see, this is what, what year is it? 2027. I don't know. So <laughs> 2020, excuse me. Uh, right before COVID, 2020, I released a five song EP, and I did a Kickstarter campaign for that EP. Cool. Uh, you might remember that. I don't know I, if you. Do. I do recall. I I raised like seventeen and a half thousand dollars in like a, a lot of money in like a month you know and, and and this just little old me you know I had like ninety five different people who donated that amount of money so you think about that divided by that amount of people you know that is essentially what music marketing manifesto is all about it's about really identifying how to create relationships with the people that you already have the attention of. That's an average donation of $184.21, by the way. Right. So what that's is huge. So think about that. You know, that that is someone buying multiple tickets to a show per year or an album or a vinyl or merch. Multiple shirts. Yeah. Anything like that. Right. So imagine if you could scale that figure, $114 roughly per person, and then Imagine if you had 5,000 fans, you right. know, or 10,000 fans. There, you, there, Then you have 100,000. And that's not even an business. outrageous number of fans to have. No. And so I think so many people are, are concerned with, well, how do I get 20,000 followers on Instagram? But maybe only 100 of them would even consider buying something from your web store right because most of them are broke or you know maybe they're teenagers or whatever you know for me personally my market is people who really want to support independent artists and there's a lot of them out there yeah and and i've had such a great uh run of it being able to connect with with these folks who who really want to support me and and not only sharing what i'm doing but learning about them i mean i've made I mean, it's funny, like there's kind of a blurred line between friends and fans sometimes, you know, for me, some of my, some of my biggest fans are people that have literally become friends Mm -hmm. and and they, every time I put something out, people who will champion you sun up to sundown. There there you go. You know? Yeah. And, and, and they, they show up, you know, every time I put out a new product, they're the first ones to order it, you know, And, and that is part of what really keeps the ship afloat. You know, uh, it's not what it's all about, but for me, it's such a important part of it. If you're an independent artist, and it's you, not just finding fans, but it's about finding the correct fans. Yeah. Well, also, uh, so this is something that John Ojaka talks about. Like, 
most people want to help you. Mm-hmm. They want to support you. They just don't know how to do it. Right. And so it's your job to clearly outline for them, hey, listen, if you buy my physical CD for $10, that's actually a really great way to support me right. because Spotify pays 0.003 cents right. per stream and it takes I think it's like 1500 streams to to constitute an album sale or something, yeah, something like that. Yeah, something ridiculous like that. It's crazy. Yeah, so you have to stream my one song 1500 times or you could just buy this for 10 bucks, you know, it's the price of like a lunch if you're going to like a cheap lunch, right. you know, and you can really support me and, and it really makes a difference and you get something for it. You get this physical CD. You don't I, just have the memory of listening to something on Spotify or Apple Music. Yeah. And then it gets into vinyl, right. which, which, dude, I'm obsessed with vinyl. I have a vinyl record player, brand new. I've got, I've got a collection. I've got a display case. I've got them displayed on my, on my wall at home. So you're ready for the Wyatt Edmondson vinyl? Because I just, I'm ready for it. I buddy. just ordered it a couple of days ago. I'm ready for it. So, Put me down. <laughs> yeah. I got you. I'm actually going to do the first 200 copies. I'm going to sign a number. Hell so. yeah. Put me down. I have to get you for one of them. So one of the things we're doing for our podcast, we have a Patreon active now, and we're doing a bunch of bonus episodes. And on one of the bonus episodes, bonus episode number three, it's called How to Book the Right Venue or Gig. And I'm not going to give you all of the listeners. I'm not going to give you all of this stuff in there, but there's one little stat here that I have written down that I'd like to share with you here. And it's about... uh, People who, and we're talking about making sure that it's not just about getting a follower, it's about getting a meaningful follower. So in this episode, it was talking about, okay, let's break down in the United States in 2022, Drake was the most played artist on Spotify with 71.5 million monthly listeners. Now, that's insane. That's the most successful streaming artist in the country of 331 million people, and that's only a 21% listenership. The most successful artist in the country is only appealing to 21% of the country. And if we zoom out, or excuse me, if you zoom in, that means that only 2.8% of the people in Nashville, a population of approximately like 2 million people here in town, only or 2.8% of those people are listening to Drake. And this is a percentage that independent musicians can work with. And let's say Nashville has approximately 500 locations with live music on any given day, which means that if we're following this 2.8% like best case scenario, whatever, that there's only 14 venues in Nashville where you will find listeners who will actually listen and become fans. And I don't want to say that to make the independent musicians sound so bleak, but it's the reality of how truly important it is to find the right spots, the right people. And there's there's so many things that you can do that'll help you isolate these people and direct to fan contact like you're talking about is one of those things that if you can talk to somebody who's already a fan of yours, you don't have to make the sale because they want to buy something. And if you find those meaningful connections, like you said, some of your biggest fans or some of your best friends, like make those connections first and then start making more meaningful connections with others. You don't have to have 71.5 million listeners. You need, isn't it Ari Herstan's thousand fan rule? Yeah. 
Yeah. If you're not familiar with that, we're going to get Ari on the podcast sometime, but it's a huge book that I believe it's called uh, How to Make It in the New Music Business. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. It's it's a brilliant plethora of knowledge, but it kind of zeroes in on how little you actually need to make sometimes a ton of money in our industry. And you only need a thousand fans who are willing to spend, what is it, a hundred bucks a year? Yeah. And that's... That's like seven fifty a month, right? It's, it's or eight dollars a month or ten dollars a month. It's not that much to ask from people. Well, I think to to comment on what you just said, which is a lot, um, but I think you know when it comes to venues and and your ability to communicate, you know what you're trying to do. I I think it has less to do with the venue and more how you treat the venue. Right. Um, it's no secret we've talked about it. I I play downtown on Broadway some. And, and I do it as a, as a means to supplement the rest of my uh, business. Right. But one of the things I love about it is the fan engagement. Um, and, and that has been something that I have carefully carved and cultivated by the, the gigs that I take, the time slots I take, the venues I take. Uh, I think really what it comes down to is your ability to create an experience for people. And when I play downtown uh, at like a venue on Second Avenue or something like that. And there's like, a million ways to do that. There's a lot. Yeah, this is one example. I do my best to give them Wyatt Edmondson, not just another guy playing the songs they want to hear. <laughs> not just another guy playing chicken fried. Yeah, I know. I know how much you love just to use chicken fried. I think it's a great. <laughs> it's a great point, you know. But like at the same time, I've seen a lot of conversions from people who are at a bar downtown to becoming a fan of Wyatt Edmondson and becoming a, a follower or an Instagram. I mean, well, excuse me, an email list subscriber. That's right. the. That's the really. That's your bread and butter. That's the end all be all right there. You know, if, if you're on my email list, you know, you're done, buddy. Like, I got you, you know, and, and now we're we're friends for life, you know, and and that is such a important part of how it all woves together and into like a real vessel, you know. And, and I mean, I had somebody this is just an anecdote and then we'll talk about the new music. But I had somebody who saw me at a, at a gig downtown, you know, and like, again, I could have spent that three hours playing nothing but covers, but I wasn't, I was playing my original songs and I was selling myself as a, as a, an artist, this person, they, they fell in love with the art. They fell in love with, with the performance that I was giving. And then they approached me and said, Hey, Wyatt, you know, we have a house concert series in Austin, Texas, and, uh, we bring in artists from all over the country and we, you know, there's something about you. You're special. Mm -hmm. We want to bring you in. And they did. And they paid me, you know, a, a good amount of money to come. And I was able to afford like to fly down there and do it and, and play my original literally played, like two covers at the house concert because wow. I because I wanted to you know because it's like I love this song I want to play it not but, because they specifically requested no, Bruce man. Springsteen but because you you cared to do that one yeah yeah, yeah exactly I love Bruce Springsteen yes you do yeah I do a little bit well hey let's talk about the new music let's tell do me it. tell me about the uh, the records you're putting out the uh, the singles the, you you just had a new single come out last month right I did Dead in Town is out uh, it released on November the fourth I got a new song coming out on December the 30th, which is the second song from my first full-length album. 
basically, I recorded an album of songs that I wrote while we couldn't do a whole lot else in 2020, right? right? You know, I wrote a lot of songs and um, I decided in that time that I wanted to make a record that didn't sound commercial. I know that sounds crazy, but that's that's <laughs> what I wanted to do. I didn't want to make... You wanted it to sound signature. I wanted it to sound like what I love to listen to. Right. One of my favorite albums, you just mentioned Bruce Springsteen. Right. Nebraska by mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen is is Bruce, a guitar, a vocal, a harmonica, and the truth, you know, and a couple of overdubs. That is what I wanted. And so I bought the gear that Springsteen used to make Nebraska. Isn't that a four track um, recorder? It's a four track cassette tape recorder. Yes. Look at that. It's called a Tascam 144. Uh, I found one on Reverb.com for like $800. I bought it. My producer, Sean Byrne, and I put it to use, and we recorded 11 songs. Uh, There's a nine-song album that's going to be available on vinyl, and then the deluxe version with all 11 will be available on CD. Um, So those songs are all recorded on that Tascam. There's Absolutely. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. We did it totally analog. There's what a- was the process of recording analog like? Because a lot of the modern music is so ultra hyper produced with a million overdubs. What was it like being able to record something where, you know, if you mess up, you have to start over or accept that to mess up? <laughs> Pretty incredible. Uh, so, I mean, like we're in a room like we are right now and we have a mic on my voice and a, and a mic on the guitar and there's no metronome and it's go, just playing. you know, I play the song and then if, if we get a take that we like, then we go and then we do a couple of sparse overdubs, like a, maybe a 12 string or, you know, a tambourine or whatever needs to be. Uh, and that's it, man. And like, yeah, one of the hardest parts for me for making that album was having to go back home and listen to some of the one take, you know, passes that I did on some of those songs and being like, wow, that's the pass. That's the one we're going to use, you know, and I'm a perfectionist. And so to have to sit back and and accept that maybe in the second verse, there's one little moment that's not perfect, you know, and I have to kind of like live with that. But Honestly, the more I listen to it, the more I'm so thankful for Sounds that. Sounds real. Yeah. I mean, well, it, it, yeah. Like, out of all the stuff I've ever produced, this record is more me than anything else. And it, and it's by a long shot, you know? That's cool. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and honestly- And what is this record going to be called? It's called Made for the Road. Made for the because Road. Because I am made for the road. That's, um, a, that's a great album name. Do you remember when I, it was like 2019 and I'd see you like once every couple months? Yep, because you were, you were road dogging it. <laughs> you were road dogging it, man. I was made for the road. And I still am. It was COVID that kind of took a, a, a pause on that. But it, it made me realize just how much I really- and meant to do this. And so it's it's sort of autobiographical, the album, but really what it is, is it is some of my best songs that I've ever written, in my own opinion, but produced and captured in a way that is as raw and as, um, you know, just, just uniquely me as it's going to get. There's right. no fancy studio. There's no fancy band rhythm section. It'd be like to... somebody just sitting and listening to you at a bar. Yes, but 
with my man, Sean Byrne, who I have to tip my hat to, one of the best producers for my style of music in town. Uh, and he's playing some incredible parts on those songs. And, and we really gave those songs the treatment that they deserved. And I'm, I'm just so happy with the product that we were able to That's develop. Cool. So let's let's close it off here. I want to ask you one more question. And since people haven't yet heard your music, something that I, I can't remember who it was that that originally asked me, but what what is your elevator pitch for your music? If you have 15 seconds to tell someone what you sound like, what are you going to tell the listeners of the podcast here today what Wyatt Edmondson sounds like? So my music is... It has a classic essence to it. Um, I, I don't subscribe to a lot of the the newer motifs or like the the pulse of like kind of what's popular in Nashville today. I, I try to really sink my teeth into the music that I grew up listening to. So a right. lot of it is like the 70s through the 90s. Um, and also going beyond the music, I think one of the 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 aspects of what it means to be a fan of my music is to to relate to why I am here and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and if you're a person who enjoys a story of, you know, persistence and determination and not and, and staring adversity in the face and saying, I'm going to continue on then uh, being a part of my community is something that I think you would you would enjoy and, and you'd feel welcome there because if you faced adversity in your own life, you'll find some uh, some you know relativity in my music. Uh, that's something that I really enjoy writing about. And you know if you enjoy Americana music, if you enjoy alt country, if you enjoy rock and roll and you enjoy someone who, stares adversity in the face and says f you then you might like my music well Wyatt, thank you for joining us today on the podcast can you please tell our listeners where they can find you and interact with you and follow you on the internet first and foremost would be wyattedmondson.com uh you can sign up for my email list there on the front page uh beyond that i'm on instagram and facebook at Wyatt C's songs, like C's with your eyes. Again, a tip to the hat of the <laughs> Legally Blind. Uh, and furthermore from that, I'm on Spotify, Apple Music, all that kind of stuff. You can just search Wyatt Edmondson wherever you like. That sounds great. Well, Wyatt, thank you for joining us today. You can follow our Nashville Tour Stop Patreon at Nashville Tour Stop there. We've got tiers for involvement. Please join and subscribe. We've got lots of bonus content to uh, to share with you guys. There will be weekly new episodes. We've got the Indie Starter Pack for everybody. You can also follow us on social media platforms at Nashville Tour Stop. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast here on your favorite platform, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting it right now. So until the next time, I would like to just say, please do remember that all roads lead right back here to the Nashville, Nashville Tour Stop. Stop.